This week on the OST Party, we are giving you lovely listeners a treat for surviving the last episode. Yeah, you guys deserved it. You're the real heroes. Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans come together and have a rocking good time talking about all of your favorite movie soundtracks. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I'll be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, we are definitely going to get the pants suit off us tonight. Joke's on them. I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> my wallet is empty. What are you going to do? <laughs> come at me, bro. Yeah, tonight is another one of our uh, storied On the Fives episodes where we take a little break from actual movie soundtracks to just kind of talk about whatever we want to talk about. And tonight, the theme is Disney songs. Yes, there are so many, and we're never going to get to cover all the Disney soundtracks. And Disney soundtracks are a special breed of soundtrack. So we wanted to take time to pick out a handful of our favorites and talk about them. This might not even be the last one of these we do. Oh no, because there's a lot that we, you know, we had a lot to pick from and we only chose a small handful and we didn't even choose a lot of the ones you're probably thinking about tonight, which if that's the case and you're disappointed by this episode, we'll come back around to this at some point. I'm sure. Yeah. We dug kind of deep on this one. Uh, so this this one's for the real Disney fans out there. Mm-hmm. This is this episode is specifically for my dad and my dad alone. <laughs> so, Dad, I hope you're listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, before we talk about Disney and uh, you know all the litigation that will ensue, uh, we have a poll from last week that we need to talk about. Libby, yes, uh, the poll from me, myself, and Irene. How did that shake out? Yes, well, for starters, all of you who listened to that episode, you really are the bravest people we know outside of ourselves who had to watch it. Um, what was funny about this poll, which of course was uh, which bands from the Me, Myself, and Irene soundtrack deserve punishment for their crimes against Steely Dan. Um, Smash Mouth, of course, uh, their cover of Do It Again ran away with the poll with 71%, uh, giving basically a big middle finger. If you look at the poll, that is exactly what it looks like. So take that, Steve Smash Mouth. Uh, coming in at number two, surprisingly to me, was uh, Ben Folds 5's cover of Berrytown, which got 14%. That that kind of surprised me, because I think that was one of the ones we thought was like the least bad. Yeah, and you, I think you specifically said you want to see who disses Ben Folds 5. Yeah, so, I want to see, guys. Uh, reveal yourselves, everybody. 14% of you went for it. Um, you thought they were worse than Smash Mouth. Uh, Wilco, with any major dude will tell you, is at 10%. And surprisingly, the Push Stars, who disappointed me deeply, uh, was at 5%, their cover of Bad Sneakers. So you guys sort of came to the aid of our friends, the Push Stars, which I don't know how I feel about that. But a couple of you true believers are, are right there with me on Wilco. Yeah, we're still trying to figure out, like, is Wilco from the 70s? Or I the want... early 2000s? I have no idea. I don't know if that's, like, my dad's music. I just want to. That is my music. I just want to know when a gas station started making music. (laughs) I don't know. No idea. (laughs) 
So yeah, uh, let's look for the poll at at the end of this episode. Go to Twitter at OST Party, and uh, we will post a poll for this episode. Usually on the weekend after we release it, so keep an eye out for that. Yes. Now, so, all right, comes the the fun business of talking about Disney songs. Um, uh, Libby, what's what's just in general? What is your history with Disney? It's pretty vague. I mean, I I loved. You know, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. Um, but I I wasn't like a huge Disney kid. I never went to Disney World or Disneyland. Um, but I had a lot of like the Disney sing-along tapes because I was a musical theater nerd. And so a lot of mine you're going to find come from those. They're movies that maybe I haven't seen, but know these songs just deeply. So I think... Uh, you're probably more of the Disney fan, so why don't you talk a little bit about your relationship? Well, yeah, the sing-along tapes makes a lot of sense because, yeah, for a long time in, like, the 80s and 90s, that was kind of the only way you could watch a lot of these Disney movies yeah. was through the sing-along tapes. And we definitely had a few of our own when I was growing up. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, my, I mean, my parents, you know, like any red-blooded American parents, would take their kids to Disney movies all the time. <laughs> I mean, the first movie I ever saw in a theater, I don't remember it, but they tell me this was Oliver and Company. Oh, that that breaks me. Little besi- little behind the scenes magic, if you will. We were going to talk about Oliver and Company tonight and then Libby at the 11th hour pulled a bait and switch. I and did. I basically I watched the movie today for nothing. So well, thanks a yeah, lot. That's on you. <laughs> um, but basically, yeah, um you know, they they took us to Disney World when we were kids cuz we're not far from Florida and yeah. and then Here's a funny thing that happened. My parents' 25th wedding anniversary, they took us back to Disney World. And and me as an adult, like that flip that switch just flipped in my brain and suddenly I became very obsessed with Disney Park everything, which also meant that I started watch, watching and rewatching the old Disney classics again. So, it's this has been a a weird kind of return to being interested in Disney for me and my dad. My dad's a, a bigger Disney Park nerd than I ever will be. That's so sweet. And when we talk about Disney, we're talking old school Disney, not Marvel, not Star Wars, not every goddamn thing in the fucking universe. We're talking Disney. I yeah, I could have um I could have gamed this episode to just make it like a Guardians of the Galaxy episode, but I didn't do that cuz that's dumb. Cuz you want to keep having this podcast. Yes, cuz I like having friends. <laughs> <laughs> Although Guardians of the Galaxy will play into one of our songs tonight. Yes. Yes, it will. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what we're going to do, I think Libby and I have both picked out five that we want to talk about. And then we've also picked five that we really don't want to talk about, but we're going to have to talk about them. Yeah. there We've picked Disney doesn't always make the best choices and they've made some real hard missteps. That is that is a huge understatement. Oh yes, <laughs> but we'll we'll talk about those in due time. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna t- kind of take you chronologically through our list of songs. So you'll kind of hopefully you'll see like a progression of the way these songs sort of evolved over time, mm-hmm. which I think will be neat. Yeah. So f- uh, first things first. Speaking of uh, good choices and bad choices, let's talk about uh, the Three Caballeros, which yes. is a song that appears in the film The Three Caballeros. Uh, here's a clip. We're three happy chappies with snappy serapies. You'll find us beneath our sombreros. 
brave and we'll stay so. We're bright as a peso. <laughs> we say so, the three caballeros. Now, please tell me about this film because I had no context for any of this. <laughs> and then when I was reading about it, I was like, this is kind of fascinating. Yeah, there is an entire, like, history lesson involved with this song and this movie and just everything. So the short version, because this is a, an hour-long podcast and we have to keep moving, is basically during World War II, Disney was sent down by the U.S. government to South America to basically foster goodwill between the two the two you know, U.S. And, and the South American countries to keep Nazi Germany from having any influence. And what wound up happening was when Walt Disney and his crew came back, they made two movies basically about the cultures and the history of Central and South America. One of those was called Saludos Amigos, where Donald Duck basically uh, tours Brazil. And the other was The Three Caballeros, which is basically about Central America. And uh, the song is sung by these two characters that they invented for these two films, uh, Jose Carioca and Panchito Pistoles. They're both performed, one by um, Jose Oliveira, who was the who voices Jose Carioca, which is a Brazilian parrot, and then P Panchito Pistoles, who was voiced by uh, Joaquin Garay, who's a Mexican-American actor. So right away, you kind of see that, like, Disney knew that, you know, getting the appropriate actor for these parts was important. That's amazing, considering when this was made. <laughs> yeah, considering everything like we know about, like, Walt the person and their business practice and everything, like, the fact that they even bothered to do this is honestly the best. Yeah, and even just <laughs> Hollywood, white, Hollywood whitewashing culture. Yeah, just in the 40s in general, you know. Is that's that they, they took the time to get Native actors is... Is incredible because like Rita Moreno talks about being in Hollywood and playing like a quote unquote like Indian princess. She's from Puerto Rico, but she had mm -hmm. black hair. So like you look like a Indian braid your hair. Right. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. But so that they went ahead and, and got these actors. That's incredible. And it even gets to the point where like uh, they acknowledged that Joaquin Garay's his singing voice is like a perfect Mexican accent, but as soon as he starts just speaking as that character, it's a little iffy on how well how good of a Mexican accent he's actually doing. So, like even at the time, they knew that they would they were trying to like nail down the proper, um, I guess, tone of these characters. Uh -huh. And you know, there's it's still cartoon characters, and they're still very exaggerated and silly. But you know, these are cartoons. And that it was meant to foster relations. Exactly. So I guess what you're trying to say is that Donald Duck stopped Hitler. I think there's actually a cartoon where that happened. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. <laughs> but the song is, is just great. It's, you know, a song about three friends from all cultures having a, having a good time singing songs, except when it comes to the subject of ladies and then it's every man for himself, which <laughs> is fucking hilarious. I like this song because I think it's the closest like early Disney ever got to doing like Looney Tunes style animation. Yeah. Cause like this is, yeah, this is, it's very wacky and, and zany and ridiculous. It's very Bugs Bunny, but not, it's very oddball and atypical for like early Disney. Mm -hmm. But the oh, song I... is just, yeah, it's just it's, a joy. <laughs> it's insanely catchy and never feels like cultural appropriation and there's a reason for that exactly like it's like you, i mean it's corny it is it's old school disney so it's definitely yeah. corny but, but they did they did the best with what they had 
Yeah. And, <laughs> and definitely sort of stretched out what they were doing. Yeah. But uh, if, if, if anybody out there is curious about like that whole period of like the, the Disney and World War II, there's a film called Walt and El Grupo. It's a documentary all about their trip to South America about like, you know, the things that the cultures that they saw on the way and the, the reasons they were down there and the people they met. It's fascinating. But yeah, so that's, I mean, that's a, that's a fun way to kick us off. So Libby, I think, that is uh, fun. I think you're up next. Yes. Um, now my pick was um, Whale of a Tale, as sung by Kirk Douglas from 1954's uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So let's go to a clip. Got a whale of a tale to tell you lads, a whale of a tale or two, about the flapping fish and the girls I've loved on nights like this with the moon above. A whale of a tale and it's all true, I swear by my tattoo. There was mermaid Minnie, met her down in Madagascar, she would kiss me any time that I would ask her. Then one evening, her flame of love blew out. So this was one of those uh, songs, two of them on my list are, are from one specific sing-along songs tape, and that is the Under the Sea tape, which I got for Christmas the year I was eight. I also think it's the uh, last Christmas that my parents were still together. Aww. So, eh, it's not, I was like, then that's the, last. it's just like, I distinctly remember like later that spring, they split up. It's fine. Um, I'm not like a sad child of divorce. But like, um, this is like the first of many, like this Disney song reminds me of, of like my childhood kind of moments we're going to yeah. have tonight. Actually, a couple of mine remind me of like college years and that gets into a whole weird area. Oh boy. Um, But this song is kind of risque, you'd think, for Disney. But it was, of course, a live-action film. Right. But Kirk Douglas is singing about, like, all these hot mermaid chicks that he bones. <laughs> um, and in the chorus, he stands up and he shakes his butt. <laughs> and my sisters and I thought that was the funniest thing we had ever seen in our life. <laughs> And we referred to him as Bob, which stood for big old butt. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, he's not as thick as Chris Maloney, but who is, really? Yeah, really. <laughs> he got that big old juicy booty. Special victims unit. That Maloney but, baloney. Yeah. But um, I've never seen 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. But even watching this now, when it got to the part where he shakes his butt, like, I was waiting for it. I'm like, he's going to shake his butt. And there he goes, he's shaking his butt. Yeah, I've, but I, I, just, I had never seen this either, but, like, watching this clip, like, I really want to watch this movie now. I think it's something I, know, I enjoy. I know, it seems amazing. And there's probably a big squid. Uh, but it's just such a, like, fun sea shanty. Why didn't we bring this back for the eight days we were doing sea shanties? It's a missed opportunity, really. Really? Um... I have this on 45. One of my friends had it on 78. And so I went looking for it on 45. So like, I must have this. I had forgotten about this song. My friend Ian had it. <laughs> um, I think on the sing-along songs version, they left off the third verse about Harpoon Hannah. Mm, probably for good reason. Yeah. It's, it's not exactly a feminist grade. But he's talking about like making out with his captain's wife. And it's just like, this is naughty. Yeah, well, it's all the sailors singing about, you know, stuff behind the captain's back. Broads. Broads and dames. Mermaids. 
Now, when he names off all these all these ladies, you know, Mermaid Minnie and Typhoon Tessie and Harpoon Hannah, I thought for sure that those had been become the names of the boats at the Jungle Cruise ride. Uh, apparently not. That's okay, again, missed opportunity. Super missed opportunity. They do have like fun, funny pun names, but it's not these. So it should have been these. It should have been these. It could have been these. Disappointed. So the real the real Disney nerds out there are gonna start yelling at us like there was a fifth a twenty thousand leagues ride you idiots I know we know it's okay I don't know I haven't been there we are officially a Disney podcast now and I feel like we're gonna get so much hate mail <laughs> for things we don't know I'm not a Disney adult like I'm really not I that's all on you you can be the Disney adult <sighs> I mean if you look at my Instagram page I'm I'm at the purple wall I don't know what to tell you I don't know what that means. There is a wall at the Magic Kingdom that is just painted like lavender purple. Instagram influencers love to take their picture in front of it and hashtag it Disney purple wall or whatever. So I went and I did it, too, because I want to be one of those people. No, I don't. No, I don't. Bless your heart. Oh, it's going to be the that's going to be that kind of a night, everybody. (laughs) Get used to it now. (laughs) All right. Well, it is your turn now. All right. Uh, Now, see, now I'm going to have to. Ugh. I don't even know why I put this on the list at this point. So number eight, I'm going to cheat and, and kind of tack two together because to me, they're both kind of the same song. Uh, it's from Robin Hood, 1972 or 1973's Robin Hood. It's Roger Miller doing Whistle Stop and Ooda Lolly. So let's take a listen to uh, Whistle Stop real quick. <laughs> Now, I know every last one of you knows this song because this is the hamster dance. Okay, there's another cultural thing I missed. You you did not exist on the internet 20 years ago. I did not. Somebody took this song, sped it up to, so that it sounds like, you know, a chipmunk sang it, and it's this song called the hamster dance. But it's literally just this clip sped up huh okay and i'll put that in the show notes for the one of you out there libby who doesn't know what that is okay thank you (laughs) you're welcome but uh yeah so this it's just a very kind of laid back simple little ditty it's it's the opening credits to the robin hood film which i'm not a big fan of i don't think it's very good but i've always enjoyed the song and just the laid back sort of style of it it's like a perfect sort of southern afternoon if you ask me. Yeah, I know everyone's really hot for the fox. Um, yeah, yeah. This yeah. one didn't land for me. It was catchy, but it never like felt like it got going. I do like that they described Maid Marian as a vixen. <laughs> that's, I guess that's grammatically correct. Unless there was like an editorial comment and they're like, yeah, she's a vixen. Yeah, but like when I think of vixen, I think of like Lita Ford. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you could be a vixen without fishnets. It's true. That is true. So. Look, the 80s really diff- really changed the definition of vixen. Yeah. So, but, I um, think... yeah. Hey, Let's... but you know what, Maid Marian? I don't know what you got on under that little fancy dress. So, you just get your freak on, girl. I'll keep doing you. Yeah, this is like the, the birth of, of furries, is this movie. So, <laughs> I don't want to talk about that so much. Um, <laughs> It's it's fine. I'm not yeah, going to disparage. I'm not going to disparage any of that. But like, yeah, that's that's this. But I think what what I think is interesting about this is like this movie came out. So it's okay. It's Robin Hood, like a classic British folktale, and Disney decided 
let's take it and just go real southern with it. I don't know why. It's an odd choice. But it it's one that I think fits with the time and place that it came out because it came out at a time. Do you know what the rural purge is or was? No. In the early 70s, the rural purge was like all the TV networks, or I think CBS specifically, decided that they were they wanted to get out of the country bumpkin TV show business. So like all the shows about like hillbillies and stuff got canceled. Like the Andy Griffith show, Beverly Hillbillies, Green Acres, all of them were just canceled unceremoniously. Oof. And I think it's interesting that like all of that went away and then Disney said, well, we're going to put all of that in our movie. I don't know. That's something to to ponder out there. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then Udalali, which um, I guess I'll play a clip of it. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, of course. Yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Robin Hood and Little John walking through the forest, laughing back and forth at what the other has to say. Reminiscing this and that and having such a good time. Oodalolly, oodalolly, golly, what a day. Never ever thinking there was danger in the water they were drinking. They just guzzled it down. The only reason I included this, because this is one that I do actually find myself just kind of singing along to all the time. <laughs> Just to myself, or if I'm in my car doing nothing, it's just a, a catchy little tune to, to, you know, wash dishes to or something. I don't know. It's weird because I haven't thought about this in probably 30 years. <laughs> and I instantly remembered all of it. Yeah, right? It's deeply, deeply embedded in my brain somewhere. And the version you sent me when you put together the playlist for this episode had the little bouncing Mickey, so it must have been on a sing-along yeah, songs. I think it was somewhere. But I could not tell you anything about it. No, other than like again, it's Roger Miller singing the song and like he does all the, he does most of the music for the movie. But yeah, it's just a pleasant little ditty. And I think my main problem with Robin Hood as a movie is like it's not it's the whole movie is that. And the whole thing just feels like a lazy, just like it never gets going. And it's always just kind of, it's never in a hurry to get the plot moving, I guess. And well, it, Robin Hood in, in its nature is episodic. I mean, I'm sorry that there's no Brian Adams and Kevin Costner for you. No, I'm just saying that I think it's slow and boring. And it, honestly, the last time I tried to watch it, I fell asleep. <laughs> That's all I'm really saying. But I like the music in it. So eh, I'll, I'll take eh. that. That's fair. Let's let's move on. Libby, uh, <laughs> take it away, please. My next track is uh, Candle on the Water from 1977's Pete's Dragon, another film I have not seen. Once again, this was one from uh, Disney sing-along songs, and holy shit, do I love this song. Holy. It, it, what I'm finding is the Disney sing-along songs versions were abbreviated, but before we go on, let's, uh, let's go to a clip. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be your candle on the water This flame inside of me will grow Keep holding on, you'll make it Here's my hand That's Helen fucking Reddy. Now, who is Helen Reddy? Helen Reddy wrote, I am woman. Oh, okay, yeah. That Helen Reddy. Wow. And 
I had no idea. I think in my head I probably thought it was like Bernadette Peters because I was watching like Annie at the time. Mm-hmm. So I think I just assumed that's who it was. And I didn't learn that about Helen Reddy until we started doing research for this episode. That blew my mind. <laughs> and like watching the video, the one that I guess we're we're using is it's it's like a Bonnie Tyler music video almost. Yeah, it definitely it needs it's it's one extremely loud piano chord away from Jim Steinman territory. <laughs> it really is. She's like standing in a lighthouse in a beautiful white gown and you're just like, okay, any minute now. Any minute now the guitars are going to kick in and just no. start wailing. It's a lovely song though. I do like it a lot. This one for me, I think because it was sort of in my range. So I, I used to sing this one a lot. Oh, I'm, it is a perfect musical theater ballad because it alternates between like very tender and very soft. And then it's got this big, fabulous swell of strings and emotion and then sort of goes back and forth between them. So you get this whole big range. Oh, wow. That's um, nice. <laughs> yeah. And actually, um, Helen Reddy died last September oh. um, after a long battle with Addison's and dementia. Although no cause of death was was listed, but we did unfortunately lose her fairly recently. Damn. I know. Um, but this one just it just guts me. It's so beautiful. And this was this was a um, an Oscar nominee for best original song, I think too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it probably lost to something dumb. Oh, let's see. All the songs I like lose to something dumb. It lost to You Light Up My Life. Ah! It's... Ugh. Gross. What? Yeah. But seriously, listen to this song and tell me you don't, like, feel it in your throat. Mm-hmm. It's very dramatic. You really just want to, like, stand at a window and sing it. Well, this comes from uh, Pete's Dragon, which is not a Disney film I'm really familiar with. I know nothing about it. I think there's a dragon in it, I assume. I know the dragon is invisible, which doesn't help. (laughs) But it's like from that that 70s era of Disney that I just, it's it's before our time. And it just, something about it just seems old and not that interesting to like 80s kids. I guess, but because it, it was more of that like combining animation with live action. Right. That would eventually give us Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which eventually gave us Cool World. Yeah, so like the the <laughs> long history of live action uh, animated films, uh, Pete's Dragon is definitely in there. So yeah, we could blame Pete's Dragon for Cool World. I'm really, okay. you could just tie a direct link. I'm okay with that. <laughs> and then in, and then in fifty years, when someone decides to make the. Uh, the touchy-feely indie drama remake of Cool World will have the Pete's Dragon remake to blame for that. Good. <laughs> it's a, it's did, a date. Did you see the Pete's Dragon remake? I did not. I actually did not know they remade Pete's Dragon because I am not a Disney adult. So um, I have... Did, was Candle on the Water in it? I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I know I saw it, but I couldn't tell you a thing about it. <laughs> So moving on, we're going to skip the 80s completely and jump straight into the middle of the 90s. Yes. And I want to let you guys all know that we do feel bad about skipping uh, some tracks, especially um, Beauty and the Beast, which is my favorite of that like golden age. 
of Disney. Yeah, I I think the older I get, the more I realize Beauty and the Beast is like a, it's the the perfect movie. It's it, the the soundtrack is perfection and it's all beautiful, and and Aladdin also is brilliant, but. I think we're going to have to do those probably on a separate episode. There was so much to cover and we wanted to cover a much wider range. So yeah. And we didn't want to just clog this up with like 10 Howard Ashman songs, which we easily could have done Yes, because indeed. they're all so, great. They're all amazing. And we could just do a, a, an episode about him sometime. Yeah. That way we could talk about little shop of horrors. Hell yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So. But yeah, so we're going to jump all the way ahead to 1994 with the lion King. Uh, because I would like to talk about be prepared for a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to a clip. And where do we feature? Just listen to teacher. I know it sounds sordid, but you'll be rewarded when at last I am given my dues. And in the Lion King is difficult for me for a couple of reasons, mostly because I do remember I have very distinct memories of being a kid and seeing this lots and lots of times. Because, oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Everybody saw this at least 10 times. And if you didn't, you're a fucking liar. <laughs> but be prepared. I think it t- it's the most interesting one to me now. Like the Elton John songs are fine. Circle of Life is perfectly OK. But there's just something about be prepared that it's. I think I just like the it, it, the fact that it's a villain song and Jeremy Irons is singing it. <laughs> yes, and villain songs, I feel like those are for the adults in the room. Yeah. And that includes, like, Poor Unfortunate Souls. My husband really likes Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. Like, when I was asking him as we were discussing, you know, what I was going to pick, that was one of the ones he picked. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Because that's a very, very fun song. Um. But villains always get the best songs. I mean, again, going back to Howard Ashman, um, Mean Green Mother from Outer Space, Tim Rice uh, wrote for Jesus Christ Superstar, and Judas has all the best songs in Jesus Christ Superstar. Absolutely. So, so Tim Rice knows how to write a good villain song. I think that's because he's a big uh, fan and supporter of Margaret Thatcher, so he knows what evil looks like. <laughs> So he's yeah, first-hand knowledge. It's easy to write mm-hmm. that. Like, right, like it's like the write what you know kind of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but just, no, I yeah. hadn't thought about be prepared in forever. Like, I remember it just being like, oh, this is the one where you know Scar explains to the hyenas that he's gonna kill Mufasa. Like, okay, there's not much there. But then you listen to it, and like that drum beat hits, and like the <laughs> Um, the marimba hits or whatever the the percussion is and it's just it's a jam (laughs) yeah and as i said like tim rice is just such a clever writer and i it it got to the point though where i you know the hyenas would sort of interject Mm -hmm. and i didn't want them to i'm like stop spoiling this for me guys it's like yeah just shut up cheats just for a minute (laughs) although my favorite character in the lion king for real is shenzi Mm. I love her. I have the little plush of her. I have I've... no idea what happened to it, but <laughs> I love Shenzi. Anyway, <laughs> so one last thing about, about Be Prepared. There's a noticeable change in Scar's voice like halfway through the song. 
And apparently it's because Jeremy Irons voice literally gave out during the recording. And they had oh, to have wow. one of the voice actors, Jim Cummings, to come in and finish the song for him. Wow, Jeremy Irons just, he goes hard. <laughs> he, he went so hard his voice gave out. <laughs> but it's, his voice I never is, knew that. His voice is so good in this, though. It's just that that silky kind of, like, seductive kind of voice. It's so, like, languid. It is. He's very, like, casual and very calm and collected. And then he just booms that chorus. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, villains always get the best songs. They really do. It's 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 weird that Jafar in Aladdin doesn't have a song. I know. I was trying to think because I was going through, um, and actually, uh, two of minor villain songs as well. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, because we've got Gaston, we've got Be Prepared, we've got Poor Unfortunate Souls, and I was like, does Jafar have a song? And I was racking my brain trying to think of it, and he does not. Yeah, I think he was meant to, and they just wound up cutting it. Like it either didn't so. work or they didn't need it. Surprised they didn't bring it back for the, the movie. I know. Well, the yeah. Bad movie. We could the talk. Bad place. We could do an entire hour on just the shitty remakes. Oh, speaking of that, this is another song that got completely ruined in the live action version of The Lion King. Oh God! <laughs> like, I forgot there was a live action version of The Lion there's King. There's a live action version of everything now. Yes, but I think I blocked it out because, like, you can have a live action Beauty and the Beast because Belle is a human. Yeah. You can't have a live action Lion King unless you have real lions. So it's still just animated. It's, it's just not cool animation. Exactly. But like the the staging of the yeah. song in the in the remake is just like, like it's just in a cave at night and there's moonlight coming in and it's just very flat and boring. But then in in the cartoon, you know, they they play a lot with sort of the shadow work and they do a lot of the the hyenas are done up like it's it's like Nazi propaganda that they based it on apparently. Yep. And it's which is terrifying. It's terrifying and very effective. <laughs> but they don't do any of that for the remake because effort, I guess. Yeah. It would take us out of the movie. <laughs> Ugh, yikes. Um are we at the fives? We are, are we at, at our top. We are at the midpoint of this episode. So speaking of garbage versions of disney songs we're gonna take uh, a few minutes here before we head into the the uh the second half of our countdown to talk about some of the worst disney songs so yeah i mean there's really no place to start except at the beginning which takes us back to our last episode on me myself and irene where we had to talk about smash mouth and guess what everybody we have, we have to talk about smash mouth again god the 2000s were the worst how did anybody survive those I, it's, it's a it is a mystery <laughs> because Smash Mouth, I found out, did do a song for a Disney film. They covered uh, the song I Want to Be Like You for The Jungle Book 2, which you would think like that doesn't count. We can't talk about that. But no, 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 no. The Jungle Book 2 is a real movie that played in theaters and Smash Mouth is in the end credits of that movie. So this song actually played in theaters. This is canon. I want you to hear this for just a moment and endure our pain. Smash Mouth strikes again. Um, why does he always sound out of breath? Because he always is out of breath. I guess. 
it's just it's lazy it's just turgid and then it goes into i guess what is like techno ska is that what that is i think so that's the only way i can describe it it's like he's trying to ruin things i cannot think that he went into this with an earnest and sincere effort i don't know if it's just gen x irony or what but he is just trying to fuck with us i feel like he's trying to fuck with me personally I mean, this is remember, this is from the era when Disney was just making sequels to everything because they didn't give a shit anymore. So I think that's the whole like, guiding principle of this song is just like, fuck you. When was this? When did this come out? I think this was in 2002. Okay, so they were trying to have All-Star. Yeah, they were. Disney, Their own All-Star. Disney wanted an All-Star. They wanted that Smash Mouth money. Because oh because this is this is a year after Shrek came out and All Star was suddenly huge again. Yes. What was Tom Waits doing <laughs> in two thousand? Where was he? That's a good question. So okay, you know what happened in um, in two thousand two? What's that? Tom Waits released Blood Money. Ah. So the Tom Waits Steve Smash Mouth continuum continues. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Now. I I will direct you to another cover of I Want to Be Like You that is far superior, and that is Big Bad Voodoo Daddy covers it on their first album. Ooh. And it's it's pretty good. It goes back to our Neo Swing. Of course. Um, of course. One of these days we have to do swingers. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Keep an eye out for a, a swingers episode, and we'll talk more about Big Bad Voodoo Daddy then, but they do cover it. Um, and it's it's pretty it's much better than this. I, I'm sure I believe it. It has to be. Ugh, this is just a nightmare. This was the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and I thought do it again was bad. And do it again was bad. This was worse somehow. Just remember, Livy, there's always more. And it's <laughs> always worse. <laughs> oh God. But All the right. hits the hits keep on coming because <laughs> Uh, the next one we have have is another uh, 90s rock staple performing a song for the Treasure Planet soundtrack. This is Johnny Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls with Always Know Where You Are. <laughs> Let's go to a clip. was always there. Sometimes it's gotta hurt before you feel. But now I'm strong and I won't kneel. Except to thank who's watching over. Actually, John Resnick, he's an adult now. He's no longer Johnny. He's a serious composer. Okay. He went the Johnny Cougar Mellencamp route, I guess. I know. I love that. I was like, it's John Resnick. Like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. I mean, listen, he, he's Goo Goo Doll, okay? I... <laughs> See, this one, I never saw Treasure Planet. Because this was, by this point, I was, I was out of Disney. Um... This one isn't bad. I gotta be real with you. I probably would have liked this in college because this era of Libby, this 2002 Libby was like going through a lot. I think I had just included it because like I have seen Treasure Planet. I do remember this song. Hey, if you want to hear me talk about Treasure Planet for an entire hour, uh, our friends at Secret of the Sailor Madness will oblige you. So I'll put that in our show notes. Yes. <laughs> uh, but this, this song just it's 
it just sounds like literally every like pop rock song that came out in 2002. I know, and I loved every one of them. This is very like it's kind of Lifehouse. I, I and, and I hate that. <laughs> I know. I I'm not saying I'm a good person or I have good taste. I just like I know that 2002 Libby like lives inside of me, and she's trash. She fucking loved that Goo Goo Dolls album. Just like a, a breathy pop rock song that wants to be a hard rock song, but the acoustic guitar just can't seem to get the fuck out of there. Oh, yeah. It's just. Oh, yeah. Like, it, yeah, that's that's where she lives. It's where I it, this is a moment where I feel that nostalgia for things I used to hate. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I remember when I used to hate this song. Yeah, I hated it no. then and I still hate it now. Nope. I, I don't know if I'll ever listen to it again, but like I feel like I sort of have to come to its defense because that's what 2002 Libby would Libby 2002 Libby would have put this on a mixtape for a boy who did not love her. Yeah, that's absolutely what she would have done. It would have been between like somewhere out there by Our Lady Peace and probably honestly like big machine by the goo, goo dolls please tell me our lady peace did not cover that song from uh, american tale no oh man you got to hear our lady pieces somewhere out there it's so good it's so beautiful okay i'll i'll take your word for it it is not a cover of the linda ronstadt james ingram song from thank- american okay tale. well thank god for that yes so well and then i'm just going to go ahead and take the next one because i i have a special grudge against this movie it's Chicken Little from 2005, but Bare Naked Ladies got dragged into this one, and it's a song called One Little Slip. Let's take a listen. I guess I probably took the wrong direction. Well, I admit I might have missed a sign or two. I ran a light past your affection at humiliation. sounds so dejected like Like this song stole your girlfriend (laughs) kind of (laughs) it's just like i a lot of memories are flooding back now and they're all like fighting each other in my head like (laughs) i remember a time when i actually was a big bare naked ladies fan and so like to hear a bare naked ladies song in a disney movie that's kind of a head trip right there but then it's for uh, i'm gonna say it objectively the worst disney movie chicken little I forgot this existed. I'm going to be honest. I was like, what? There was a chicken little. And then, like, it sort of came back to me, but I didn't see it. I mean, it was 2005 as hell. Because, like, yeah, Bare Naked Ladies are still big, I guess, but they're kind of over. Zach Braff is trying to be a thing, and Zach Braff is starring in this movie. And Disney's trying to get on the Pixar train and do CG animation. It's all at the same time. It's just, like, every terrible decision gets crammed into Chicken Little. And I just... I don't know. I just don't like it. This is a, a, a collection of songs I just don't like. Yeah, and the, <laughs> in listening to this, I mean, it sounded like every Bare Naked Ladies song I've ever heard, and yeah. I realized it cribs the guitar line from It's All Been Done. Yep, it really it's does. It's essentially the it? same guitar line. Um, And I, I realized I knew nothing about Chicken Little, and I read the synopsis, and I something about baseball and there's ufos and i don't know and it just like 2000s era disney like 2000s era libby was going through like a lot yeah like reading the plot synopsis of chicken little it's it's 
it's like going crazy. Like it makes you feel like you're going crazy. <laughs> or like you're trying to remember a dream that you had while just fucked out of your mind on Benadryl. Exactly. You're like, and and there's this this chicken and the sky falls on, but it's not the sky, but nobody believes him, so he wins a baseball game. And there's a fish walking around in a diving bell, and I don't know what the fuck, man. It's so, yeah, like, you can't, it sounds like somebody was drunk when they came up with this. Like, that's a UFO. It vaporizes everybody. Yeah, and Chicken Little, and there's this Giant Pig Baby, and I He plays know. baseball now. <laughs> and he plays baseball. But I realize I'm an adult yelling about children's movies. And that's not a good look, but I remember. Our children deserve better. They do. But also, I remember, you know, almost 20 years ago now when I saw this movie, disliking it then. And, like, all those memories are just flooding back to me now. Yeah. I know. That's the problem when we do these episodes that are so deeply rooted in our childhoods uh -huh. is it, it becomes therapeutic in a way. But it also, like, threatens to unlock a lot of repressed memories. Mm -hmm. and I, Like you did with Treasure Planet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for that. You're welcome. And I... Yeah, we're spending way too much time on Bare Naked Ladies, so let's just move on to Skrillex. Hey, guys, Skrillex is on our episode now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Skrillex is OST party canon. That's right. Um, I'll go ahead and say it. I love Wreck-It Ralph as a movie. The oh, that was how we met, Joe, was you dressed up as Wreck-It Ralph for Halloween. I saw that on Twitter, and I'm like, that guy, I want that guy to be my best friend. Ah, uh, yeah, that was good. Those were good times. <laughs> But um, yeah, so I love Wreck-It Ralph so much so that I, yeah, I dressed up as Wreck-It Ralph for Halloween one year. And, and he nailed it. I just want to, I want this to go on record that he fucking nailed it. I'm still kind of salty about that. <laughs> and I'll tell you people why. Because my friend Brad and I, we decided we were going to do like a group costume one year and do Wreck-It Ralph and Fix-It Felix. And he, for like a, a costume contest. And he did like a, per like a perfect cosplayer's uh, costume of Fix-It Felix. Like, he did the patches. He made his own stuff. I kind of just put on brown overalls and a red shirt and spiked my hair. But that's that's all you have to do for a Wreck-It yeah. Ralph. And all the cosplay kids at this at this uh, costume contest, like, fawned over his costume. Didn't give me the time of day. So I really got the full, like, Wreck-It Ralph treatment. Oh. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, fuck you people. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Skrillex, for whatever reason, is on the soundtrack to Wreck-It Ralph. It was 2012 and Skrillex was a thing. So much so that Skrillex is actually in the movie. Like, it's not, it's not enough that they put the song in the movie. They put, like, a CGI version of Skrillex in the movie as a DJ. I no longer like this movie. <laughs> Sorry. This movie has broken me. And I'm not going to play this song because it's been playing for the last, like, 30 seconds underneath everything we've been saying. Oh, God, you're a monster. <laughs> You're a monster. This is what I imagine a hell sounding like. Like, it's not going to be cool like Lil Nas X Montero. It's just going to be this. Yeah. Forever. And I will say the only thing I actually like about this song is that the drop is John C. Riley screaming, I'm going to wreck it. That's it. I didn't even get that far. I was like, nope, this is going to give me a migraine. Oh, Libby. Okay. I couldn't. I was just like this. I. You didn't even get to the Skrillexy part of the song. No, I couldn't take it. <laughs> oh, man. I couldn't do it. Well, Libby, bring us home. We got one more awful Disney song to go. Yes. And this is um, Be Our Guest. Hold on. Let me finish from the remake. 
with Ewan McGregor standing in for Jerry Orbach. Let's go to a clip. Uh, be our guest, be our guest, put our service to the test. Tie your napkin round your neck, Sherry, and we'll provide the rest. Soup to show, hot or dove, why we only live to serve. Try the gray stuff, it's delicious. Don't believe me, ask the dishes. Now, I saw the Beauty and the Beast remake at the drive-in with my best friend, Heather. After Guardians of the Galaxy 2. See, I told you I was going to bring it back around to Guardians hey, of the Galaxy. Hey, there it is. And it was very painful from the start. And it made me doubt that I ever really liked Beauty and the Beast. But I was like, Ewan McGregor's in it. How bad can it be? I've seen worse. I've seen some of the worst films I have ever seen for Ewan McGregor. And we're talking like Eye of the Beholder. And then it, I was like, I was excited for this because I, I've seen him obviously in Down With Love. He sounds great. I saw him uh, in the West End doing Guys and Dolls, a Sky Masterson. He's a beautiful voice and he's a beautiful man. And then this happened. And I have never heard anybody phone something in so hard. At that moment, I broke up with him. I thought, we are done. <laughs> We're fucking done, man. I'm over it. I'm over you. I'm moving on. Everything we had is like, I will think of you fondly. But I will never, I will not watch garbage for you anymore. Now I watch garbage for Walton Goggins. He's my garbage baby. And one day he too will disappoint you. But until that he day He will comes, never disappoint me. Walton Goggins will never disappoint me. I believe in him. Can I just say, like, outside of even the music, I remember this very clearly because this was, like, the one big complaint I had of the, of the film, the remake. They, like, computer animated all of the, you know, the talking furniture in the castle, right? <gasps> but then Ewan McGregor as Lumiere is so very clearly, like, a guy in a motion capture suit. And it just moves, like a regular human being in a suit does. And then all these like cartoon characters swirling around him. Like, why would you do this to like, just you and McGregor? Did they actually yeah. put him in the suit and make him walk around like that? I have no idea, but you know, when you're a kid and you have like weird crushes. Yeah. Like mine was on Lumiere. And so for you and McGregor, to play Lumiere, I thought, this is made just for me. This is everything that I love coming into being. And instead... And it could not have disappointed me harder if Ewan McGregor had come and, like, peed on my car. <laughs> like, stepped out of the screen like the Purple Rose of Cairo. I just taken a piss on my car. It was so upsetting. I was so I, Heather and I left the drive-in. I'm like, I'm out. We're leaving. Damn. <laughs> I know. You and McGregor broke me. This film broke me. And it's the same thing that we said when we talked about like Will Smith and the Aladdin remake. Like they they take such great pains to like recreate the cartoon, but then the songs just are so half-hearted and they don't hit the same beats the right way, and it's just it doesn't work. Yeah, and Ewan McGregor knows how to sing. He did a run of Guys and Dolls. Like he's he's not just some face that's you know they decide to try to wring a few notes out of. Yeah, like he's a very very talented performer. And by this point, I think he was just 
checked out. Yeah, it's to the point where like I, I had to wonder like why didn't they just use the original songs? Like why'd you have to have him sing the song? Jerry Orbach died for this. Yeah. Really? This is how you're gonna this is how you're gonna pay homage to him? I would They're not gonna dim the lights of Broadway for you, motherfucker. No. No. They never will. So mad. So So that's that's the worst that Disney has to offer. And we've got so many good ones coming up. We're going to get back to the good ones. Yeah, we're, we're going to jump back. There's still five more that we want to talk about because these five, they're, they're better than these last five. <laughs> so, Libby, why don't you take us into the, the, the home stretch? All right. So uh, we're once again with another villain song uh, from 1996's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Here is Heaven's Light, Hellfire. 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 This fire in my skin, this burning desire is turning me to sin. I know The Hunchback of Notre Dame isn't people's favorite, but I actually love the soundtrack. I think it's a really, really strong soundtrack. It's Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz. I'm... But I, I was torn between this one and Out There, actually. Oh, okay. Because Out There is spectacular. It's a big, beautiful piece. Now, yeah, this was one that, like, I hadn't seen since my mom took me to see it in the theater when I was 10. Oh. And, yeah, like, I think at 10 years old, this was just way too much for me. And I don't think I, mm. I don't remember coming out of the theater, but I do remember going in. <laughs> If that tells you anything. <laughs> you came out a changed man. I, I, I went in a child. I came out a man. Yeah. But, and, but having uh, seen it now, like I watched it literally this afternoon. I loved it. I loved everything oh, about it. It's wild. And it's funny. Um, We've talked about, uh, actually going back again to The Secret of the Sailor Madness, uh, we talked about The Critic. They had a Hunchback of Notre Dame musical. It was a Broadway musical called Hunch. And then yeah. they actually went ahead and made they just did it. a musical version of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And you know what? It was better than anything Jay Sherman ever could have imagined. I know. But it, it really is stunning. And what I love about this song, why I chose this one, is obviously the contrast. You start with Quasimodo singing Heaven's Light and then go into uh, Frollo singing Hellfire. And... Heaven's Light has some musical echoes of Candle on the Water. Like, they they sound kind of similar. You give them a good listen. But it never quite gets going. No. And that's, yeah. And, like, the, the, I guess the musical sting, I had always kind of remembered that this piece of music in the back of my mind. I knew it was a Disney thing, but I could never place where it came from. And then when I heard this song, like, boom, there it was. Ugh, that's, like... When you get a, a piece of music stuck in your kid, you cannot for the life of you remember where you heard it. And then one day it just hits you out of nowhere. That was this for me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm this. But when it goes into hellfire, that's when everything gets real. Yeah. That's like oh. it's up there with be prepared. Yeah. And I just deeply appreciate like how dark this song is. This is the darkest Disney song that has ever existed. I mean, because 
Which is weird because like you think about go back to be prepared like that they're planning a murder. Yeah. And to, they they don't even hide it, you know, cuz even as they're saying like well the king is, you know, dead, they're like what is he sick? And they're like no, <laughs> we're going to kill him. Like they straight up tell you we are going to murder him. And you know, even um the mob saga Beauty and the Beast and you can argue like they think they're killing a monster. We know better, but you know they feel justified. And Scar's obviously the villain, but this one, essentially singing, "If you do not fuck me, I'm gonna burn you to death in front of everyone." That is dark for a children's movie. That's dark for any movie. Where they're singing gargoyles. Yes, where George Costanza plays a singing gargoyle. <laughs> And he even said, like, I wouldn't take my children to see this. This movie is too dark. Right. Um, because Alan Menken does not come to play. Not a, no, not a bit. Like, he, he brought his A-game for this one. Yes. The, the way it builds is so, like, maddening. It starts off so slow and, and in this reflectful prayer. And it just gets more and more tense and more and more crazy as he's just driven mad with desire um you hear like the the curiosan you hear mia culpa as the counter melody and mm. all of this this church music this traditional latin church music against his madness is such a brilliant touch and you again remember why alan menken is the composer that he is because he's so brilliant yeah, I mean, it, uh, the fact that we had to that we had to lose Howard Ashman is, is a tragedy, but like the fact that Alan Menken is still there producing A plus work is just it's a blessing, honestly. Yeah, a fun fact: Tony Jay, who plays Frollo, was almost cast as Obi Wan Kenobi. Really? Mm-hmm. I, he had a meeting with George Lucas, and George Lucas decided to go with Sir Alec Guinness instead. Oh, oh! I for some reason I thought you were talking about in the prequels. That's way different. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. decided he was going to go with with Ewan McGregor instead. <laughs> so no, this one, this is, might be my favorite Disney song. Yeah, yeah, it goes it goes a lot harder and a lot deeper than I remember. And yeah, you're you're right. Like the the fact that this is such a deeply like religious film at its heart is it's very out of left field for Disney. Like, of course they're not going to do that, but then no, they went and they did it. They fucking did it. This, I think, was the last Disney movie that I saw in theaters. Like, of that, like, animated. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I go see Pixar movies, and I saw Wreck-It Ralph later, but, like, of those traditional animated ones, it wouldn't be until uh, The Princess and the Frog that I would see another, like, what we think of as, like, a Disney movie. The Disney musical. Right, because they definitely had a, an ebb and a flow to them, like, they were out of fashion for a long time and then they came back again and they're arguably mm-hmm. still back, but we'll mm-hmm. talk about some of those in a minute. Um, yes. But, but Hunchback was like the, the height of what we call the Disney Renaissance where it was like, they were just firing on all cylinders and could do no wrong. And I guess at some, some point they just decided that a Hunchback musical that was like almost completely played straight was a good idea. And I think they got a lot of heat for that. So after the fact, the next four or five films, they kind of pared it down and got sillier and and less dramatic with it. And I think that's kind of why that trend sort of died out. 
Interesting. And, and, and speaking of which, that is a perfect lead in for our next song, which is from Hercules, uh, the next Disney film that came out after Hunchback, which is also our next song. Uh, it's Go the Distance by Michael Bolton, Libby's favorite, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I just live to make you squirm. So let's take a listen. I love me some adult contemporary. Yeah. I was actually surprised you went with this one. This is like not what I would have picked for Joe, but please go on. It's less that I like the song and more that I just, I have memories attached to the song. Do share. So, I mean, it's, it's fine for what it is. Hercules is again, not my favorite Disney film, but I think some of the songs are very strong and this is one of them. And I guess I think it, it comes closest to what I think Hercules could have and should have been because i think hercules is kind of a a jokey dumb mostly bad movie i think some people are gonna yell at me about that i know a lot of people like really love hercules it's got its its fans i i know it does and i i can appreciate that but like it's something about like the whole late 90s like too cool for school kind of humor that Mm -hmm. the movie's just full of does not work for me that's uh, that's fair yeah i haven't seen it so i just i know that i it it hit a, a an era especially I think for girls my age, like I think that um, Hades kind of does it. Mm, I, I, I can see that. Yeah. Except for the fact that it's James Woods. Yes. There is that. There is that. But the reason that, that I remember this song is because when this came out, my mom sang this song a lot. Like she loved Aww. this song. That's so mom. It, it, That's so mom core. It really is. This is mom core. It very much is. But also, it's like when this came out, I was going into, I think, the sixth grade. And when you're in middle school, I don't know if your middle schools did this, but mine, they kind of split the classes and there was like the honors class and the regular class. But they didn't call them honors and regular. They called them uh, motion, which was the regular class of kids, and then heroes, which was the other class of kids. Ooh. And so there's the line in the song where he... he sings about getting his heroes welcome. And my mom thought that was hilarious that I was going into the heroes class. And Aww. also Hercules was out. And so she would sing that to me all the time. <laughs> that is the most adorable thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And <laughs> so I can't watch Hercules or hear this song without thinking about, you know, being in sixth grade and my mom singing this song to me. <laughs> That's why it's technically our number four. Then I feel bad about saying that it was designed to be inspirational, like a slow motion montage at the Olympics. I mean, it was, but that's also perfect for Hercules. Yes. Like, I think it's actually Uh, a perfect song for a Hercules movie. I just don't think the Hercules movie they made fits the song. Yeah. This, for me, was just kind of a standard piano ballad. It kind of sounded like if Jim Steinman wrote Glory of Love. Almost, yeah. It's a little, it's got that, like, big piano ballad sound. And I forgot that... Pizza Terra sang Glory of Love. I thought it was Michael Bolton because I cannot <laughs> tell those two apart. Yeah. Yeah. They're very similar. But the other thing is, I think is just weird. is like the music video because there was a music video for this. 
And it's Michael Bolton singing the song in like a museum full of Greek statues. Yeah. And there's like kids wandering around and security guards wandering around. It's very odd. It's like it a is, it's, it is. It's like a, a, a Jim Steinman music video. It's also very VH1. Oh, extremely. Extremely VH1. They would never play this on MTV. Are you kidding me? But like, but specifically like that VH1 look. Mm-hmm. That like very They're, glossy kind of yes. adult contemporary look. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wow. So that's my story with Hercules. So that's Libby, sweet. That's I'm, really sweet. I'm gonna turn it over to you. <laughs> All right, I've got a, I maybe similarly sweet story with mine, although it's it's got that you know <clears throat> that Libby spin to it, I guess. Um, this is my funny friend and me by Sting from 2000's The Emperor's New Groove. You see the patterns in the those constellations look like you and I Just like the patterns in the big sky we could be This one makes me so weepy. <laughs> really? This one makes me cry all the time. I love this song so much because a good sting ballad will gut you. And that this one is bromantic just makes it that much better. The way that it opens up into that second verse is just sublime. Oh my God. I had actually forgotten that this song was in The Emperor's New Groove <laughs> because, again, if people are going to yell at me, I really don't like The Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> what? I'm going to yell at you. The Emperor's New Groove is the best. It, it's It's got David Spade. We did a whole podcast about Tommy Boy. Yeah, and you know how Chris Farley's not in the movie? It's got David it's got Spade Putty. and not. Yeah, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> David Putty, who always talks like this. Yeah. I love him. Don't him. you dare talk about Patrick Warburton like that. I swear to God, I will drive down there and I will cut you. I just don't think this movie is very funny. Oh, I'm sorry. God. I don't. And and I'm, again, like with the last song, I like the song. I don't think it fits the movie at all. <laughs> well, it doesn't because it wasn't written for this movie. Oh, it, really? It was left over from. The original version of this, which was called Kingdom of the Sun, and Sting had written an entire score, and oh, they scrapped all but three songs. They remade the entire film. You look up how the Emperor's New Groove got made because it is sad and wild, and they held on to three songs for the soundtrack. This plays over the credits, but the other songs are on the soundtrack, not in the movie. Because that was kind of the only way to keep Sting happy. And now the original ending, though, was what almost made Sting say, fuck this, and bounce out. What was the original ending? The original ending had Cusco destroying the rainforest to build an amusement park and then invite everyone to come visit. What? Which is a little on the nose for Disney. About, like, destroying other things and then inviting people to come. Yeah, I could see that. I could see how that would be a bad look. And Sting, who of course has spent so much time working with indigenous people and preserving lands and his huge in environmental movements, was like, don't you? No, I'm done. So they changed the ending for Sting. I mean, you would think that Sting would be okay working on something for a long time. That's kind of what he does, right? Stop it. <laughs> Can't believe I walked into that. God damn it. It's the whole the whole story behind the Emperor's New Groove is is weird and wild, but this movie cracks me up. 
and my husband and I quote it all the time. And my husband actually loves this movie. And I had never seen it because, again, by that point, I was sort of out of Disney. And we watched it, I think, on a day. I'd had a really shitty day. We were living in New York City. I just had a terrible day. And he brought it over. And I want to say we watched this back to back with Beavis and Butthead to America. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I just fell in love with this movie. And now this song, um, later that same year, uh, my friend Jason uh, was going through a breakup. And I put this on a mix for him. And I just remember like sitting in the car, drinking bubble tea, like listening to this. So it always makes me think of him very sweetly because that's how I feel about him. Okay. Is the way this okay. song feels. So yeah, bet you feel like a jerk now. Not really. I still, I, <laughs> I feel, I feel vindicated, but you know what? I'll say this. I, th- I think I might've liked the other version of the movie more. And maybe think- that says I'm a, a weirdo, but okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah, um, I would have loved to have seen that other version because it, it was a Prince and the Pauper kind of story. Right. Okay. But I just I think The Emperor's New Groove is so, so, so funny. It's very quotable. Uh, I, yeah. I I guess I just don't get it. Like I've tried and I, it just never clicks with me. It's that you've thrown off The Emperor's Groove. Maybe I have. No, I I do. I love this. I, Jason and I actually quote this movie a lot too. No, see that's that's fine. Like I'm not gonna begrudge anybody <laughs> their their favorite Disney movies, but it's just not for me. Yeah, no, that's fine. So I know, but we're we're down to uh, our last two. Yeah, and they're they're kind of like one right after the other. Like they came out kind of the same time. So the next one is is also mine. That's right. Um, yeah. From 2009's The Princess and the Frog, another villain song. Uh, we've got Keith David singing Friends on the Other Side. Let's go to a clip. Put your mind at ease. If you relax, it will enable me to do anything I please. I can read your future. I can change it around some too. I look deep into your heart and soul. You do have a soul, don't you, Lawrence? Make your wildest dreams come true. I got voodoo, I got hoodoo, I got things I ain't even tried. And I got friends on the other side. I mean, come on, Keith David. How, how can you say no? <laughs> yeah, this one, I don't remember anything about The Princess and the Frog. And I actually ended up sort of going down the wormhole because I'm like, I should probably remember what this film is about. And this is a big, complicated scene. It really he's talking, is. Like, as I'm listening to him, I'm like, who the fuck is Lawrence? And, of course, that's, you know, his, his manservant there. And the film hinges on this point, which is the, the best thing about the villain songs. I think sort of with the exception of Gaston, you know, Poor Unfortunate Souls sets the second act in motion. Um, so does Be Prepared. Yeah. And this one, you know, continues that that fantastic tradition. Um but what I think I love most about it, other than that it's just, you know, marvelously devious, is that it doesn't sound like anything else. And this brings Randy Newman back into the OST party. Welcome back, Randy. Yes. Uh previously he had written You Can Leave Your Hat On for Joe Cocker on our nine and a half weeks episode. That's right. And we we explicitly said we were not going to do any Pixar songs. Otherwise, he would have been all over this episode. Yes. But he he went with uh, a lot of Zydeco music. But at the the midway point of the song, it goes back to that traditional music theater, musical theater with mm-hmm. the string arrangements before bouncing back into the, the sort of Cajun flavor and the Cajun traditional music. Um, 
it, the bridge goes a weird place, which is kind of typical for Randy Newman. Like right at the end, it goes off the rails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I was thinking about the animation sequence at the end. And in a lot of ways, it's sort of a demented Be Our Guest. It kind of is. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you're right. So the the last shot um, very, very much mimics the last shot of Be Our Guest, which is wild. I remember when this came out, I went and saw it. And of course, this was the song that I, I gravitated to. But also, like, I feel like I was constantly waiting for it to get going. And then the the part of the song where he sings the uh, the Are You Ready? It's, you know, Are You Ready? I was ready for it to go in a completely different direction. So it took me a few listens to finally get into the groove of the song. But yeah, God, that's yeah. that's very typical of Randy Newman as a composer. Right. Yeah. That's that is one of the things that I've always really disliked about him is that he he never brings it back around. Yeah. He just, at, at the three-quarter mark, he just takes it someplace weird and then, like, sort of brings it back around very quickly at the end. And I think the other thing, too, is, like, it sets me up to really look forward to the next Dr. Facilier song, and it never comes. No. Because he kind of leaves the movie after that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is a shame, because that character's that character and Keith David are just fantastic. Yes. Well, Keith David, his big scene was also cut from Roadhouse, so this sort That's of... That's right. It, Keeps in that we don't use Keith David nearly enough. Mm-hmm. That's another, I guess, a little OST party runner. Not enough Keith David. But yeah, let's let's uh, bring it on home with one last song. And I feel like this is the one to me. It, it explains so much about like Disney to me. It's uh, from Tangled, from the 2010 film Tangled. It's I've Got a Dream. Let's go to a clip. I have dreams like you, no really, just much less touchy-feely. They mainly happen somewhere warm and sunny. On an island that I own, and in rested and alone. Surrounded by enormous piles of money. I've got a dream. She's got a dream. I've got a dream. She's got a dream. I just want to see the floating lanterns gleam. And with every passing hour, I'm so glad I left my tower. Like all you I think just more than anything, like this is the Disney song... Like it's the perfect Disney song that proves like what I've been talking about this whole time. It's just like even the hardest of hearts has a passion or a dream that they care about. But also like even like the most cynical of us loves at least one Disney song. I think that's fair. <laughs> and this is like this is basically Disney saying like there's something for everybody here. Yeah, this one was this was very 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 goofy, very silly. Yeah. Um. But it's a real crowd pleaser. It's like a big cabaret number almost. It is. Like it's it's Disney getting back to like their sort of Broadway musical phase. And like this is this and Princess the Frog were kind of the start of that. And I guess we're mm-hmm. I guess we're technically still in it because we've had what? Uh, well, fro- obviously Frozen. Obviously Frozen and Frozen 2 and also like Moana and I can't think of any others. Actually, no, the last one that came out had no songs in it at all. So whatever. Um I don't even know where I was going with that. But yeah, like this is uh, a sort of Disney being, you know, the gigantic multinational conglomerate movie maker saying, you know what? We can do anything we want to now. And uh, I don't even know where I'm going with this. No, I have no idea. No, I'm just Give rambling. us a Star Wars musical, you cowards. Yeah, really. Bring back B. Arthur, damn it. That's true. We had a Star Wars musical and we didn't love it enough. Mm-mm. 
Um, <sighs> no, and there was a, I mean, again, we could have talked about so many songs. We could have narrowed this down to just animation or even just golden age. Um, but no, I'm glad you, I, I'm glad you branched out into live action. Cause I actually forgot that they did a lot of that stuff. Yeah. But like, I, I would have loved to have talked about if, if we each had 10, I probably would have talked about a goofy movie, which mm, is another great yeah, musical. Yeah. You know, there is there is a lot. The one that we did, we we cut to for space. I just want to talk about them briefly before we wrap things up. We cut um, Phil Collins, You'll Be In My Heart from Tarzan, which is another song that makes Libby cry. And we also, we cut um, Why Should I Worry from Oliver and Company. <laughs> and the reason I want to talk about Why Should I Worry is because it was written by our friend, Dan Hartman. It is sung by Billy Joel. <laughs> yes. It, yeah. And very badly, I might add. Mm-hmm. But uh, I did want to give Dan Hartman a little love because we've come to adore him on this podcast between Streets of Fire and Scrooged. But I could in the end. There's not enough to talk about with Billy Joel and Why Should I Worry to even like fill up five minutes on this podcast. It's just, yeah, it's there. He did a song for it. And I think... I think you and I said off podcast, like that was the moment when Disney realized, hey, we can just hire uh, pop stars and like rock singers to play rock songs for our movies. Yeah. But that was the start of them getting, you know, uh, John Resnick and Bare Naked Ladies to do just a pop song on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like, can you imagine if Steve Smashmouth had played Baloo in The Jungle Book Part 2? You know what? The sad thing is that I can and it's still upsetting. <laughs> it upsets it's me. It's not deeply. better, is it? No, you've made it worse. I made it it worse, everybody. You know who does a kick-ass version of Hi-Ho? Who's that? Tom fucking Waits. Are you kidding me? Nope, it's on. There's an album called Stay Awake, which is rock interpretations of Disney songs. And if you'll give me a second, I'll get it and continue this thought. Yeah, so it includes Sid Straw doing uh, Blue Shadows on the Trail. Suzanne Vega doing Stay Awake from Mary Poppins. Oh, man. Bonnie Raitt does Baby Mine from Dumbo. You want to cry. Oh, just kill me right now. Yeah. Los Lobos does I Want to Be Like You. So we have another version of that. That, that would actually be pretty good, I think. Sinead O'Connor does Someday My Prince Will Come, and it just guts you. Ooh. The standout for me on this one is from 101 Dalmatians, Cruella DeVille performed Ooh. by the replacements oh no. and if you know yeah. anything about paul westerberg i cannot imagine the conversation that ensued when they're like do you want to do a disney song because paul westerberg is crazy and angry and was doing a lot of drugs at that point <laughs> I'm, I'm sure the answer to that question was how many zeros are on the check i and it's just like who would have thought like yes you know who should interpret this Disney song? The Replacements. It's amazing. Stay Awake <laughs> is a very, very, very cool record. That suddenly jogged a memory for me. There was a, an album that my dad had bought at a Disney theme park from like the late 90s. And it's just 90s artists performing Disney theme park songs. And I'm looking at it now. The theme song for The Haunted Mansion performed by the Bare Naked Ladies. Oh, God. Hakuna Matata, performed by the Rembrandts. This is so 90s that (laughs) it has put on Jenkos. 
<laughs> it is, it yeah. is wearing Jenkos and a Bush Gardens tie-dye hat backwards. What a strange album. I have to put a link to that in the show notes. So Yeah, we'll do that. So yeah, I think that kind of wraps things up for tonight. These on the five episodes are always really fun. Just yeah, just deep dives into a little bit of weirdness. So Joe, what do we have uh next week? Well, next week on the show, school may be out for the summer, but it's time for us to go back to the School of Rock. Yes. 2003 is the School of Rock. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm really looking forward to this episode. We got Jack Black. We got Led Zeppelin. We got uh, Eric Clapton and Metallica. It's going to be great. It's going to be epic. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. <laughs> so until then, uh, you can get at us on the internet a few different ways. You can email us at ostpartypod at gmail.com. Anything you want from questions to comments to uh, recommendations if you want to tell us hey you, you guys should do this soundtrack or that soundtrack we'll we'll consider it also tweet as at ost party on twitter uh libby where can they find you on the internet you can find me on uh twitter at libby cudmore you can find me on instagram at record underscore saturday you can listen uh, listen to me over at the Shattered Shield podcast, where uh, I talk about some of the episodes from seasons one and two before I joined Drew and Panda for the remainder oh, of the seasons. So we're having nice. some fun with that. Joe, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Cordial Wombat. Or if you want to hear me talk about Christmas movies, I'm on the Christmas Creeps podcast at Christmas Creeps. We're currently in the middle of a three episode run where we discuss three different movies, all titled Let It Snow. Oh, my God. I'm going to pray for you. Yeah, that's OST Party. There's nothing else to do but uh, sing ourselves out. Actually, I'm not going <laughs> to do that. <laughs> I'm just going to say, that's been the OST Party. I'm Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. <laughs>